Welcome back to Netflix and Kill, the podcast dedicated to reviewing and documenting the horror films of Netflix. I'm Kai. I'm Marty. I'm Hannah. What a horny film we just watched. Yes. It really is. <laughs> really, really, really horny. This is it's the good, epitome. Though. It was good. It's the epitome of bisexual I cinema. It. Yes. <laughs> Um, you got all the staples. You got David Bowie. You got women. You got vampires. Women, vampires and gay stuff. And silk curtains blowing in the wind. Oh my mm-hmm. gosh. So good. So many silk curtains blowing in the wind. Um, there, there was quite a bit of silk this curtains. Film, <laughs> this film feels like it was pitched by Stefan from Saturday Night Live. And he had a compliment. <laughs> New York's hottest club is The Hunger. <laughs> that's that's the movie we watched. Susan Sarandon vomiting blood into your mouth. Uh, being locked in your own piss in a box. <laughs> <laughs> Ambiguously gay or European. Just kidding, it's both. <laughs> yes. So, uh... Yes, this is our third and final film for Pride Month. And it's a good one. It definitely came yeah. on like really strong with the gay vibes, so big respect. Which is interesting cuz when I heard this pitched, I I heard it had bisexual undertones. And like, you know, they don't say the word bisexual or anything, but like there's like explicit gay stuff. Like yeah, it's no, not this like is they're yeah. Pretty, away. It's pretty. Text. They're like, look at these women. Yeah, they're like, there's like a scene where Susan Sarandon and this other actress, I'm not totally sure, and like she's like sucking on nipples and stuff, and like they're naked together. And it's like no, they're having sex. This is like full on text here. Like, yeah, like more so than any of the other movies we've watched this year. Like yeah. honestly, more so than just any of the other movies we've watched for Pride Month. Like, yeah, in general. Yeah, we watched Nightmare on Elm Street too. What was the other film y'all watched? Um, we, we watched, watched uh, Perfume. Perfume, the story which, of a murder. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Which um, it has like a gay actor in the lead. But yeah. uh, as for, like, the actual story of the film, wasn't really that queer, but, like, I, but we still really enjoyed watching it. Mm-hmm. You um, could get, there's, like, some readings of it that could be, like, you know, uh, you know, you could take it that way, but for the most part, it was pretty subtext. Um, right. This one is just, yeah. like, straight up the Susan Sarandon. Oh, yeah. Susan Sarandon getting her, subtext. her teeth sucked. <laughs> Subtext, we don't know how to read. Why don't you look at these women having sex instead when I'll go learn how to read? How about that? (laughs) Yeah. I mean, just from the fact that, like, David Bowie is even involved in this, you know it's, like, not gonna be a straight film. Yeah. (laughs) Well, and Susan Sarandon, because they're both queer icons, I would say. (gasps) Really? Mm -hmm. I didn't know about Susan Sarandon. Good for her. Well, she's Janet in the Rocky Horror Picture Show, isn't Mm -hmm. she? Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Okay. I, yeah, I, I'm just so used to seeing her in, like, newer movies, I forget. Yeah, I'm not sure She also played the evil queen in, uh, what do they call it, that fucking movie with, 
Amy Adams where she's a princess who oh, comes enchanted. to the real world. And yeah, I feel yeah, like yeah, yeah. playing a Disney villain automatically gives you queer uh, icon status. Yeah, it is true. <laughs> um, so I guess we should go through the premise. Um, this movie is about a vampire and she is like thousands and thousands of years old and um takes like different lovers throughout her lifetime so when we meet her in the film her current lover is david bowie Mm -hmm. and um but he's starting to age super rapidly and like get sick because i guess like they can live forever but he will still like age like if that makes sense there comes a point um, where he just kind of like ends up aging rapidly i think it's like something to do because like they try to explain it with this monkey metaphor where like at, at there's a certain point in which like they injected monkeys with a certain type of blood and like the monkeys lived to be like 120 and then like immediately died and deteriorated really fast um I'm not sure if that's a real thing. Probably not. <laughs> um, but that's no, how they explained so. it in the movie. No, the, I'm 90% sure everything in this movie was completely made up. Well, yeah. they yeah. might have like used certain diseases about like aging rapidly. But I, I think mean, beyond that, this is vampire logic. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. But I think like the rules and the logic just don't matter in this movie. It's all about yeah. the vibes. It Which is, is very well, much a vibey movie. There was a brief explanation where he said if you have a certain type of blood, it like doesn't work as well. So I think it's implying like whatever his blood type was, like he just wouldn't live as long as she would because she had a different type of blood. Okay. Mm, yeah, I think I, I remember that's what that. I got. Yeah, I mean whatever it is. Like again, I'm not that concerned about that because it's all about the vibes. Yeah, and the, that's it's just what I'm that's here like, for. It's kind of a bullshit excuse for you to just be like, "Enough about that." Now let's uh, watch uh, gay stuff. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, basically. Um, yeah, so David Bowie ends up deteriorating, and she takes him to her attic and locks him in a coffin, where yeah. all of her other former lovers are apparently also just in coffins as like yeah. these old dusty people. Which is really creepy. It's kind of funny, though. Cool. Like, yeah, it's it a little is. existentially terrifying, me, I'll be honest. Cause <laughs> my, my first thought thinking about that is um, the scene in Toy Story 2 when, like, they put Woody on the shelf and he has, like, a nightmare about, I don't want to play oh, with yeah. you anymore. <laughs> Damn. <laughs> like that. See, for me, I actually... I actually found this scene quite scary because when you think about it, like, you are so withered and old, you literally can't do anything. Yeah. But you still feel all the pain and you can't do anything about it. And the person who you loved and trusted the most just fucking dumped you and is literally right outside, but just doesn't want to talk to you anymore because you're old and gross. And they won't even do you the courtesy of putting you out of your misery. You just have to fucking deal with it in a box of your own piss and wrinkles and like that's a nightmare to me i'm like oh fuck no get me the fuck out of here yeah no, no that's, thank you it, it is super horrifying like it like yeah, if you're putting guess... it into the perspective of like being the person in in the coffin yes but like just like on 
first watch and just like thinking about it, I was like, oh, <laughs> she's no, and that's completely valid. Up. Like different things are scary. Yeah, to, I guess in like, different ways. Yeah, I was I when I watched it, honestly, I was just thinking of it from her point of view, I guess, and being like, wow, like that's pretty emotionally stunted, like. You know, instead of truly grieving for this lost relationship, you're just locking your lover in a literal box. Um, not yeah. even a metaphorical one, a literal box. And, like, I don't know, I thought that was, like, a very interesting concept. Just, like, you don't have time to grieve your relationships, so you just lock it away and pretend it doesn't exist. Mm-hmm. And so I, I dig that. Like, there's... I'm, I want to clarify, at this point in the movie, I think this is a genius move because, like, she points out, she's like, I can't kill you because I think they're connected to her in some way. Like, she's talking about how, like, I need you to survive and you need me. It's kind of a codependency thing, so it makes sense mm. that she can't kill them either for emotional reasons or practical reasons. Doesn't matter. Um, but also just the nightmare of never being able to exist autonomously anymore because you are so, your your clock just ran out that's just fucking terrifying yeah yeah Ooh, yeah well, so she ends up um meeting susan sarandon well Can't real quick what her-, her name was sarah but real quick before uh david bowie completely shrivels up into a prune he finds out this doctor is working on slowing the aging process or trying to deal with diseases of the aging process and he tries to get in to see her but she thinks he's he she thinks he's not legit or nuts so she ignores him and then it's too late and then he goes in the box yes and he gets super old and right before that he also kills a girl who says who uh is like a uh violin she he like teaches her violin i think and, like, he pretends, like, because he's, like, super old now, and, like, he pretends, like, younger David Bowie is his son or something. And she's like, wow, you have the same eyes as him. He's like, well, I didn't notice that. He's not my son. Um, and then uh, he murders her. <laughs> that scene was also very effectively horrifying. Yeah, like, that was that was super I- scary. And it was treated with, like, the emotional tragic weight Mm-hmm. like that I thought it deserved because like they, he clearly cared about her and it was very sad but also you know it's sad because she's like I just came here to play what the fuck yeah my favorite scene yeah, of hers the- is like right before that and she's like say salami <laughs> oh my gosh yeah because she's a photographer and that, that did crack me up because yeah, I um I'm a photographer and I've worked at like several different places as a photographer and my boss at my old job did always tell us like don't tell them to say cheese. Tell them to say something else. So we would have to come up with all the stuff for people to say. Um, but yeah, so uh, Susan Sarandon is a doctor and um, she goes to Miriam and David Bowie's house to try to find him and like apologize and be like, hey, I want to help him. Um, and instead she ends up having lesbian sex and being seduced. Yeah. And like, you know what? That is a big fat mood. There's a very there's a scene in this. We we talked about it a little bit before we started recording, but like there's a scene like right here when like she shows up at the house and she's like looking for David Bowie and like the vampire woman just like starts playing the piano and like they're talking and then like 
watching it, we were like, like, at least I was, I was like, this is kind of like Hannibal. <laughs> yeah, yeah, fun. So yeah, Brian Fuller has cited this film as an influence on Hannibal, which I can 100% see. Like, it's yeah. very um, atmospheric and moody and like the editing too. Yeah. Um, it's very Hannibal-esque, yeah. Yeah, the editing in this film, I do just want to bring up, it's so fascinating. Because mm-hmm. um, mm-hmm. it just, uh, I don't really know how to describe it, I guess. It just cuts to J a cuts, lot of different things. L cuts. Everybody yeah. cuts. There's a lot of, um, I don't remember, I, I feel bad because, like, Brian taught this, like, four times. Brian's our film professor. He, like, taught us this, like, in four separate classes, but it's, like, the effect where if you put, like, two non-related images together, you get a specific feeling. The cool shot um, effect. Yeah, cool shot. Yeah, yeah, that. It's, like, they had a lot of that going on in, in this movie. And we kind of skipped over it, but the opening sequence is fire, where mm-hmm. it shows David Bowie and um, Miriam... I feel bad because that's her character in the movie and I keep just saying David Bowie. His name is John in the film. David Bowie is just a much snappier name. But <laughs> in the beginning, they're hunting this like goth club to the song Bella Lugosi is Dead and they pick up these two like 80s goth punks and they have sex with them, but then they kill them. And it's just, and it keeps cross-cutting between these like monkeys who are also killing each other. And it's, it's later explained later that it's like, to explain the blood thing and the aging process, but just cutting back between the singer singing the music, the the orgy happening, and the monkeys. It's just, it's this perfect storm of, like, increasing the tempo, increasing the visceral effect of the, the film. And it's just, it's so effective. The sound editing, too. The mm-hmm. music. The music and the sound editing works so well in yeah. tandem, which is very rare for a movie. Normally they feel like separate entities, but here I really felt like there was... A harmony between the two yeah mm-hmm. i i want to yeah. point something out um there are like certain moments in this movie where like i heard like very specific sound effects and i was like wondering where i had heard them from before and then it like hit me um you know the experimental film episode of clone high where um uh, joan shows off her like movie where it's like her confession of love for Abe and, like, nobody gets it. Um, there's, like, little, like, uh, like, like, violin stings and stuff in this movie that I think they pulled from this movie to use in that because, like, I mean, this movie is kind of experimental, but I, I think it's really funny that they did that. <laughs> I, I, think I heard it. also a lot of... <sighs> go ahead. Sorry, go ahead. Oh, uh, I was gonna say... I think there's... A... <laughs> go ahead there's a lot of dropping of classical music here which is i think what also gives it a very hannibal-esque vibe like especially mm-hmm. during the violent scenes and the love scenes or a combination of the two like i think that's also part of it because i know experimental music tends to use a lot of classical compositions as well mm-hmm. yeah i mean yeah i think like a lot of film scores in general draw from that, but I I really like the way this movie did it. Because um, I'm gonna be honest, I tend to kind of roll my eyes when movies use classical music as the score, because it's like, oh, really, we're doing that? Like, okay, you know, impress me. Um, 
But no, it actually really works in this film because it's like these are two very, very old characters. And so it does seem to kind of fit. Like, Mm -hmm. even though they're living in a modern setting, um, you know, Miriam especially is very old. And so it makes sense for her to be surrounded by this classical music. And based on the brief flashbacks we get, I think David Bowie's character comes from that era. Because there's a flashback where he's, like, in a stable, and he looks like he has Mozart hair. And mm-hmm. I assume... And he plays the cello with music from that era, so that I'm I'm personally headcanoning that that's the era he's supposed to be from, that... That would make sense. Oh, God. Mm-hmm. Mozart era. Beethoven. <laughs> like the early yeah. 1800s? Or, like, 1700s? I'd have to Google. That's why I I, I don't feel com- com- confident saying when Mozart was alive. Uh, take my music degree right now. <laughs> it's okay. I I, I wouldn't know. Time time is an illusion. Yes. Um, uh, yep. Uh, 1700s. Yeah. So yeah. Fantastic. So um, yeah. So Sarah is is become a vampire, and. <laughs> She gets to, like, tell her asshole boyfriend to leave her alone. Because he's, like, it, it's so weird. He's, like, very demanding about, like, like you you were at this other lady's apartment for three hours. Why were you there? And, like, she's like, like we had Sherry and talked. And then, like, and then he's, like, but you hate Sherry. It's, like, well, maybe she hates Sherry when it's, like, with you. Because you pick out the nasty Sherry. <laughs> Right? Like, that whole like, scene Like, maybe you're just really a shitty boyfriend, up. huh? Maybe think about that for a second? <laughs> it's even funnier because he is clearly being cuckolded in this scene because the last <laughs> scene before was so, like, intense and beautifully shot. And, like, their chemistry is very apparent and these this couple does not have that chemistry. But technically, he is right. They yeah. did fuck. <laughs> Yeah. I mean, it's true. I think yeah, it- but it's just so funny that he, like, outright said it. Like, that, I guess, is what cracks me up. Yeah. Um, yeah. The, uh, the other thing about that scene is, like, they're in a restaurant, but, like, the restaurant is overlooking an indoor pool, and she's, like, sitting there staring at these women swimming, and I'm like, oh, she's gay. <laughs> <laughs> Like, she just yeah. had sex, I mean, but, like, they're just, like, really trying to hammer it home that, like, this is not just, like, a one-time thing. She's, like, she's, like, really into women. <laughs> yeah. I mean, like, in general, I try not to make assumptions about the sexualities of the characters in this film, because I think, like, it is just a very fluid and yeah. um, bi and pansexual. But, yeah, in her case, like, that specific character, I'm like, oh, she gives me big lesbian vibes. Yeah. I think you're right, Kai, because that's one of the things I appreciate about this movie is I think that is something that is communicated with the story and the editing and the sound effects is this sense of fluidity and change and complexity in terms of attraction, specifically attraction to Miriam, because it is both a wonderful thing because you kind of love seeing these characters interact, but it's also kind of a deadly thing. Like she locks her lovers away in boxes when she's done with them. That's horrifying. And yet you're like, but I get it, though. Like, look at her. Look yeah. at her. Look at her. Yeah. So, like, I love that that sense of just attraction without judgment. Because, like, in this moment, you realize 
she does prefer Miriam over this guy. And like, she, it even that is causing her to open her mind even more because there is very much more of a sense of the female body uh, or the, you know, traditionally. The boobs, the there's boob- a lot more boobs in this movie than there are the 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 other things, you know? Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. This um, is very much a, like, feminine, like... It, it's very feminine centered like there even though david bowie is in here like the main characters are both you know two women who are you know exploring their sexualities together so yeah 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 there's not so much of the like traditional male and male pairings as there are ma- female and female pairings which i'm okay with because we have hannibal for that yeah, <laughs> that is true. But even Hannibal also has a uh, a like gay couple that are women, though. That's that true. That is true. Well, and what is it? The Kyla, you said this director also did Top Gun, which is a yeah. very <laughs> yeah um uh homoerotic film in a different way, uh, mm-hmm. more uh, circling around the masculine perspective. But yeah. Yeah. God, um, I could, do I need to rewatch Top Gun? I never thought I'd say that. <laughs> I have never seen it actually, so I, at some point I do really want to watch it. I just haven't gotten to it. One of the other things that I thought was cool, one of their connections in this film, is that the makeup artist for this was also the makeup artist for The Exorcist. Yeah. Um, and the makeup's really good, like yeah. on David oh Bowie God. when Insanely he gets all old good. and dusty. It's so cool. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. and then there's a scene at the end. So, uh, yeah, I guess we can just go go into the ending. Um, Sarah is reluctant to become a vampire. Um, and then like she and Miriam kind of end up tussling and uh, Miriam like basically drains her energy and is going to take her up to the coffins to lock her away with the other lovers. But all of them like rise up out of their coffins and push Miriam out a window. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And it's amazing. And like the, the, but like the way it's edited though is so good too. Cause it's just yeah. like little flashes. Like you just see like, you know, the wisp of her dress and like, Oh, I don't know. It's so good. I'm not doing it justice. This mm-hmm. is such a visual film. It feels like difficult to talk about in an audio yeah. medium. Mm-hmm. But it's so yeah. good. It felt like poetry in a way. Yeah. It was poetic yeah. cinema. <laughs> that yeah. that meme that's like the guy with the cigarette. He's like poetic cinema. Because this has like yes. Bram Stoker's Dracula vibes combined yeah. with like the music video for Total Eclipse of the Heart. <laughs> yeah, that is honestly very accurate. I I said this during a moment where like he like David Bowie started aging, and I went, he looks like Gary Oldman. <laughs> so the Dracula <laughs> thing is. Uh, Pretty uh, on the nose there. <laughs> At the very, very end, um, we see Sarah hanging out on a balcony. And you can hear Miriam, like, kind of yelling her name from, I'm assuming, inside a coffin. They pushed her out a window and then dragged her back upstairs into a coffin? 
Maybe, I, I don't know. I think that Sarah did that, because it shows her aging gotcha. after her lovers push her out of coffin, and then her lovers turn to dust, so I think they're like, got her, and then peaced out. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, again, I'm trying, like, not, I just, I'm so much less interested in the, like, step-by-step step of here's the plot, and more just like, wow, this movie makes me feel things. Yeah. This is very, think, um, a very feely movie. I agree. I do think the the causality, like something triggering another thing, even if it doesn't make like plot sense, is interesting to think about. Like what what made her or what made these people disappear, whether it be emotional. Clearly it was them pushing Miriam out. Like that was the thing that triggered it. Whether it matters in the lore, it doesn't fucking matter. It makes emotional sense in the piece and i think that's where the kind mm -hmm. of more experimental surrealist quality comes through because even if it's not like lord of the rings with the lore and how things work out it still feels right you're like yeah that's what would happen if you pushed your vampire lover out a window you turn to dust because what the fuck else are you gonna do yeah <laughs> yep but yeah. yeah sarah gets to girl boss at the end of this movie and i she I does yeah so her um arc is kind of interesting to me also, like, I guess, like, I'm not quite sure what to make of her character. So there's this obvious attraction that she has to Miriam. Um, but then it's like she also seems kind of reluctant to become a vampire and feed on people. Yeah. I think she doesn't want to become what Miriam... I think, well, one, I think she's pissed that Miriam didn't tell her, I'm turning you into a vampire. She thought it was a hookup, so she wasn't being completely honest about the circumstances. Um, but yeah, you're a doctor. You probably want to heal people. You don't want to kill people. You don't want to just suck your lovers dry and leave them in a coffin forever. Like, you want to give them some kind of closure. And I think that's why Sarah chooses to stab herself while kissing Miriam after she killed her former lover because she doesn't want to turn into Miriam. And yet she does anyway because she keeps Miriam up in a box. So, like, mm -hmm. is it even a fate that you can avoid if you fall in love with someone? Can you ever not do that, become, like, a, that, have that parasite if you become linked with someone? Is it inevitable? Yeah. Oh, I feel like that's just so accurate to like how romance often plays out yeah like, like i think all you in have general, is like a memory yeah i think in general like falling in love is very parasitic like you become dependent on someone and it can be a good thing like it can bring you happy stuff but like there's also like you have to live with the memory of that person forever and sometimes it can really haunt you. And, um, you know, sometimes I think that people in relationships of different kinds, whether it be romantic or platonic or familial, um, they drain each other. And mm -hmm. so I, I think that's really interesting. Mm -hmm. I like also that they didn't, like, they have this character who is bisexual, and I'm sure there is probably some stuff here about, like, it's problematic nature since she's a murderer. But, like, I don't... I want a complex character who is 
like problematic like you can't have a vampire bisexual without her being a little problematic for god's sakes yeah (laughs) um and i like that they don't shy away from those discussions because it makes her so much more interesting as a character Mm -hmm, same with susan mm -hmm. sarandon like i i understand how there could be a complaint about how she the seduction is very quick as opposed to other vampire seductions that take long longer times but it still just makes sense like there is that chemistry there is that attraction yeah Mm -hmm. yeah like if they had like drawn out the romance more i feel like maybe i wouldn't be as into it because like what what's here is like it's like a spark and it's like i would liken it to like i don't know meeting because like this this is what happens like basically in the movie it's like you meet someone and like you kind of just like have that chemistry immediately but then like you don't know where to go with it. And so, like, you know, you want to, like, continue, like, your life as it is, or, like, do you want to, you know, kind of incorporate this new person into your life, even though it was just, like, a very fast thing, you know? It's like, how do you fit those things together? And sometimes it doesn't work. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Well, it's in. Yeah. Yeah. Well, kind of what Kai was saying, like, you kind of have to live with the fact if you bring someone into your life, if you love someone and they're vulnerable to you and you're vulnerable to them, you're gonna hurt them. Yeah. Like, it it sucks and it's terrifying, but, like, it's inevitable and you have to deal with that. And I think that's where Sarah is different in that she wants to deal with it directly. She doesn't want to have to... Make them suffer needlessly. But then yeah. Miriam's in the coffin afterwards. Yeah. It's I mean, so interesting. I think yeah, maybe, I think like, that... it's, it's like, emotions you don't want to deal with is kind of like what I'm thinking with the coffins. Like, uh, Miriam has so many of them, and she just, like, you know, I don't want to deal with my emotions in regards to these, like, romances that, you know, I've had over years and years and years and like that's like the one that uh uh sarah has like the the one thing that she probably doesn't want to deal with because it's kind of painful is like the one hookup that she had you know Mm -hmm. yeah well i mean like also i think like even despite our best intentions everyone is capable of like making shitty choices yeah um and holding on to toxic things that we probably shouldn't yeah well and i'm curious um i'm trying to think of like the emotional thread that could cause because like uh sarah stabs herself to try to get away from miriam but it doesn't work because she's a vampire so she's immortal so miriam's gonna take her up to the attic and that's when her old lover's burst out not before and that's probably because okay the movie's ending we gotta wrap this shit up but like i'm trying to like i want to read into it a little bit i'm gonna add some text yeah gotta get some text on this sub i don't know (laughs) (laughs) this is probably the first time at least that it's implied in the movie that a lover tried to separate themselves from miriam before they started to decay you know? Yeah. 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 
Maybe that's I didn't think it. about that, but yeah. Maybe it's like a commentary on like the emotional maturity of like the characters. Um like because I like like going back into it, like people like Miriam doesn't really want to deal with stuff, but like it the if you look at Sarah, she's like got her life together. She's got like you know, she's doing monkey research and like all this other stuff. Um, and I, just based on, like, the way the characters look, not really based on, like, the ages, because, like, if you go on the ages, like, very obviously Miriam is, like, way older, but, like, just, like, the way they, like, kind of interact with each other, I feel like Miriam is just a little bit, she acts a little younger, and, like, Susan Sarandon's character is just, you know, she's just more mature and, like, you know, kind of dealing with things a little easier <laughs> in life, I think. And then, you know, yeah. Yeah. And I think yeah. Miriam's kind of stuck in this age of romanticism of thinking with the heart and the guts rather than the head. And I think Sarah represents the the other side of that, which is thinking with logic and reason. But she also is a little bit postmodern because she's not afraid to indulge in her desires. Like she does sleep with Miriam and she doesn't regret it. Like in the scene at the dinner with her boyfriend, she clearly does not regret what she did. She was very happy. But yeah. I think for her, it was the deception that ruined yeah. it for her. It was the fact that she was not prepared. She was not told what being a vampire would entail that caused her to lose interest in Miriam. Because I feel like if Miriam had kept the seduction going before turning her into a vampire, she still might have rejected mm -hmm. her, but it might have been a much more honest connection. Yeah. Rather than something it's that like, turned into manipulation. It's like, you know, the, the, like, she needs more open communication in the relationship, and Miriam just is not one to give that to her. Um, because, like, you know, she's not, she doesn't tell her, like, what specifically she wants out of the relationship, and, like, you know, as, as you get older, I feel like that's a lot more important. Like, are we going to be together just because, you know, you want to be together? Or, like, do you want, you know, do you want something from me? Or, like, and you got to be a little open to, like, what it, what the other person wants. And I feel like Miriam is just, she does, she's not like that. She's like, I like this person. I'm going to date them and turn them into a vampire so I can keep them forever. And then she doesn't think about it. Mm -hmm. And that's another thing it's that, the hunger. Like, yeah. And, like, I, I feel like that's another part of, like, emotional maturity. Like, you know, there's, there's like, a, like, having a crush and, like, acting on it versus, like, you know, being with a person and, like trying to figure out for how long or, like, what specifically you want out of the relationship, if it's, like, just for sex or, like, if you want to be together forever. And it's, like, you know, there's, there's, like, a kind of, you know, like, balance that you need to have with, like, those things. Like, very obviously, you need to like the person that you are gonna be with forever. And, like, they didn't even know each other that long to figure that out. <laughs> so, 
Yeah. Well, and what was it? David Bowie's character was talking early in the film when he first is starting to get sick. He's like, have you already found my replacement? And it's it's this constant need for, l- like, power, love, uh, any of those things. Mm-hmm. And I think that is honestly what is her downfall, is once someone doesn't placate her desires and needs, she's like, no, my needs supersede yours, stabity mm-hmm. stab, which I'm not recommending <laughs> anyone do. Uh, but metaphorically yeah. in the film, it works. Um, yeah. Well, I think maybe that's people... what does it. It's like it finally breaks this chain. Yeah. I mean, I think a lot of people do treat relationships that way. You know, I, I know people who are just like serial daters, for lack of a better word. Like, as soon as they break up, they're in a new relationship within two weeks because they just can't stand being alone. Yeah. Um, which, you know, for someone and- who is like thousands of years old i guess it makes a little more sense because you would probably get lonely faster but like also like girl uh your husband just died yeah maybe you should take some time to reflect on your own feelings about what you need in your own life before you start trying to pull someone else into that life you know well and for the love of god just kill him (laughs) <laughs> yeah. yeah he was like please i need to die and she's like no and she like pushes him down the stairs and he doesn't die and then <laughs> well, he kill falls down. me oh yeah i thought she pushed him i guess i wasn't paying attention for that very specific moment <laughs> i would i would rather be pushed down the stairs by my lover than locked in a box in their attic truly yeah honestly same well, that's, like, the other thing, too, when he's, like, kiss me or kill me. And I think that's kind of the dilemma here for her. It's, like, either commit to this or end it. You have yeah. to pick. Mm-hmm. You can't keep them in this limbo of undead. Otherwise, it's gonna come back and bite you in the ass and push you <laughs> down the stairs. Mir- Miriam, <laughs> when all of the... So, like, Miriam, when all of the uh, people in the box... They come out and they're like, she's like, we were on a break. (laughs) (laughs) That's good. (laughs) Oh, my God. (laughs) There's just so much within this film about sexuality and power. And this is like our first watch. Like, we're just out of watching it that I I really would love to read some decent essays. And I emphasize decent because I did a quick Google and all of the film reviews are so uninterested in engaging with the very interesting and complicated ideas this film is tampering with. And does is the film successful with all of these tamperings and questions? I truly don't know quite yet, but I do think it is successful in getting you thinking about them in an interesting way and mm-hmm. not shying away from looking at them at all. Also, I do want to throw this out there because I'm trash. This movie did inspire the fourth fifth season of American Horror Story where Lady Gaga is essentially Miriam's character um, mm-hmm. and she kind of sp- like spreads this vampire disease to her lovers because she's incapable of being alone but like American Horror Story is so much less nuanced than this portrayal of the vampirism and I I really do love how this film treated it and I really do want to watch it again and think about it in su- it's so interesting goddamn that's my yeah. thought very good movie. Yeah, it is. And I I agree. I would 100% recommend it. Um, yeah, and I guess piggybacking off of what you said, like, 
it is pretty disappointing to read the reviews and like a lot of them criticize the narrative like oh there was no narrative structure things just happen and i'm like yeah but that's the appeal of the movie like it's just about relationships like why does there have to be a you know a narrative structure when it's Portraying just like things. about these people's relationship yeah i think sometimes film critics uh forget that it's okay to portray things in an abstract way because sometimes that's how things are they're abstract like relationships are abstract there's no concrete way to tell a specific story about relationships like you watch this movie you just kind of know once you like you know you're looking at it because like that that's how good the 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 imagery and like the way that they show you things is you don't need like specific lore or plot like to get that because yeah and and, well, and i'm i'm gonna be spicy here but like i i am very tired of this like you know they teach you in school like oh the the narrative structure and you have your rising action and your climax and your resolution and like which this film does actually kind of follow that vaguely mm-hmm. um i mean like a lot of this films film's do, plot but, is relatively simple but actually. yeah, yeah. But think about it it's, it just but that takes whole, twists like, and turns yeah this whole idea of like the narrative structure is just uh, i don't know it's treated as if it's universal and like it's not um and I'm not going to get into it, like, too much, but I've been reading about, like, Japanese stories, for example, have a different narrative structure than than some stories in Western media. And so, like, I, I don't know. I just don't like this idea that there is one narrative structure and every piece of media must follow it. And I'm like, no, that's not necessarily how it works. Yeah. Well, and I find it so hypocritical and disappointing that these critics will just go right around and praise something like, oh, I don't know, Inception or any Christopher <laughs> Nolan yeah. film, really, that has absolutely no interest in real human emotion and is only interested in doing like narrative plot points that will make you go, huh, wow, what a subversion of the form. And it's just, I am so sick of those narratives because they are so uninteresting with anything relating to human beings and. It, I don't know. It just feels cold to me. This film doesn't. This film doesn't feel cold. It feels open and emotional and not afraid to just bear it all. That's why I love camp. That's why I love these stylistic films because they do are a rejection of this toxically masculine thing of like we have to focus on plot, plot alone, character this, character that. We are done. And it's like no. This film is much more interested in playing in between the lines and letting these characters be open and emotionally vulnerable and messy. And I love that. I love that deconstruction. I don't know if this film is necessarily the epitome of the deconstruction of a toxically masculine Hollywood format that we have now, but it is it I wonder if that messiness and that emotional emotionality over um practicality is part of the reason that this film has been rejected for as long as it has by the mainstream. Yeah. 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 That's a good point. Uh, well, thank you for talking about this, and um, thank you to our audience for joining us for another Pride Month. Um, 
this was really cool. Like I, I like the all the films we picked for this year's Pride Month, and I'm really excited to see what we're gonna do next year. And I hope that we will see more queer horror films come out soon, so that we have Please. more to talk about. I need them. Mm-hmm. Um. If you're writing them or thinking about writing them, please keep writing them. I want to watch please them. Please do. I really want to watch yeah. them. Yeah. I love you. I love your work. Please keep doing it so I can pay you money. Yes. Yes. Um, yeah. If that goes you, for guess... you too as well, my co-host. <laughs> yes. Well, thank you. Um, so for our audience, if you want to keep up with us and what we're doing, you can follow Netflix and Kill on Twitter at Netflix underscore in underscore kill. We also have a Patreon. So if you feel like throwing money at us, uh, we always appreciate it. We use those funds to help keep our show running and uh, maintain good equipment. And yeah. Um, the, keep uh, David what? Bowie happy in his attic box. It's true. <laughs> The one other thing I want to bring up is, um, and this is going to get really serious and heavy, so if you're not into that, you can stop listening now, but I do want to talk about, um, in the United States currently, there are a lot of laws being passed that are attacking transgender rights, specifically the rights of transgender children, um, you know, preventing them from getting uh puberty blockers and things like that which is really horrible preventing transgender people from accessing medical care so just you know it's it's easy to feel powerless when stuff like this is happening um but i truly do believe that if we all rally together and are very very loud about this then that's the way to implement change. So in the show notes for all our episodes this month, actually, I have links to the Transgender uh, Equality Fund and the Trevor Project, um, both of which are there to support LGBTQ rights. And on top of that, I would highly encourage you to research the laws in your state um, I did this recently for Colorado, and it was very fascinating to see, like, um, different states have different levels of, like, yes, we allow, you know, transgender people to access, like, this medical care, and it's covered by insurance, and some states do, some states don't. There's just a whole lot of different degrees of um, the way laws cover this, but I would highly encourage you to reach out to your senators and tell them what you think. Yes, kick up kick up a storm because otherwise they're not going to listen to 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 us and what we need as humans. <laughs> yeah, especially um since you brought up like not just, you know, everyone's rights matter, but they they are targeting children who need yeah. this medical care to survive. Yeah. This is so important. And you're right. We gotta speak up. Yeah. Yeah. So that's my um, message to you all as we wrap up Pride Month. Yes. Yes. 
Oh, Pepper just meowed. She agrees. <gasps> yeah. <laughs> Pepper said trans rights. Pepper said Pepper trans said rights. Ah, so thank you guys again so much. Thank you to all our listeners. We love and appreciate you so very much. And that being said, may your pride be plentiful. <laughs>